All right, Rockbridge, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. And so whether you're at any of our six physical locations or you're watching us online, we are so delighted, so excited that you're with us. Great time to be with us here as we're uh, just in the middle of a series that kind of addresses what we're all in the middle of, right? Which is we're in the middle of uncomfortable. And, and we've just said a lot of things in this series that I, I think we all don't like to admit or don't like to acknowledge, but we would all say they're true. And, and that life can be, calling can be, living for Jesus can be, being married can be, being a mom, being a dad can be, going to work can be uncomfortable. And, and for that reason, we've said a couple of things, just as way of review. We've said, hey, comfort then cannot be the goal or the deciding factor. Uh, we, we've said, hey, a lot, all of us like to be comfortable, seek out comfort, want, to, want life to be convenient, but a lot of times what we want requires us to get uncomfortable. We, if we want to lose 10 pounds, we're going to have to get uncomfortable in our diet and our exercise. If our marriage is sort of, you know, average, mediocre, not where it needs to be, we may have to have some uncomfortable conversations to, to ramp it back up. So we've just said across the board that while we love comfort, oftentimes we want things that by definition require us to be uncomfortable. So we said, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe instead of just avoiding uncomfortable, complaining about uncomfortable, we could embrace uncomfortable. And so last week in part two, we looked at a guy who jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day and killed the lion. And, and which meant he had to like run to the roar. He had to run toward his fear. He had to run and move toward uncomfortable in order to accomplish what God had for him, what God wanted for him in that moment. And, and so we kind of gave ourselves four phrases. And again, just to catch us up, we said, hey, comfort is not the goal. Hesitation cannot be our habit. Complacency is the enemy and blessing from God is our absolute destiny. So that just kind of catches you up, kind of reminds you of what this series is all about. Now, I've got some things up here that we, we've been, that we all use, and now we're all using even more. So I've got a bottle of ketchup, which I love ketchup, and it just completes so many things, whether it's a hamburger or french fries, uh, that's great. If, you, if you're watching digitally and you put ketchup on anything other than like a hamburger or french fries, throw that in the chat, throw that in the comments section and we'll all say that's either gross or that sounds good and we'll try it the next time we eat okay and then all of us gosh all of us are just way more in touch with this stuff right now this hand sanitizer and uh, we're using it a lot more because of COVID and flu season and that kind of thing. We're buying a lot more of it. You find it before you go into stores and people are saying, hey, before you touch the screen to check out the grocery, wash your hands. I mean, all those kind of stuff uh, is going on. Now, now, here's the interesting thing about both of these bottles, right, of hand sanitizer and ketchup. It takes pressure to get what you want out of it. Okay, so it, I, I love ketchup. If I'm going to get ketchup out of this bottle, I've got to squeeze it, right? I've got to put it under some kind of pressure which pushes what I want out of it. So pressure serves, furthers, advances the purpose of the ketchup bottle, right? Uh, of the desire for ketchup. Same thing by pushing this down, pressure and, and the alcohol-based or, or whatever hand sanitizer comes out and thus I can clean or sanitize my hands or my kids' hands. And, and, and so design, these bottles are designed to function through and by pressure. Now, 
you and I are, are maybe have some more things in common to these bottles than you know right now, but all of us also come under pressure. You, you may not call it pressure. You may call it stress. You may call it pain. You may call it adversity. You may call it just being uncomfortable, right? So you and I get under pressure. And when you and I get under pressure, something comes out. Something comes out. Now, what, what we tend to believe is that when we're not supposed to be under pressure or pressure is bad or pressure is a problem, and it can be, and sometimes it is, <clears throat> but let's just ask the question. If pressure is designed to make ketchup come out of this and hand sanitizer come out of this, what comes out of you, what comes out of me when we're under pressure? And, and, and if we're all being honest, and I hope we are, and I, I, I think a lot of times when we're under pressure, what comes out of us is not often really good, right? Uh, frustration, anger, fear, stress, anxiety, uh, a sense of maybe doubt, like, God, I'm just doubting you. Why am I under pressure? Why am I in this mess of stress. Why is this happening? And so oftentimes when you and I are under pressure, <coughs> something comes out of us that's not good. That's not good. And yet when we put these two things under pressure, something comes out that is good, that is purposeful, that is what we want. And so I, I just want to ask a question because we've said, hey, life is uncomfortable. So being uncomfortable means we'll be under pressure. And so what comes out, we've, we've probably all admitted, at least mentally or in our notes or uh, in our chat room or whatever, that sometimes when we're under pressure, what comes out is not good. And so I just want to ask a question today, is there a better way? Is there a better way? Because we're, we're, we're going to face pressure. We're going to live in uncomfortable. And, and uh, is there a better way? And, and now here's, here's the deal. A lot of us are like, no, pressure, ex pressure is a reason I'm angry. Pressure is the reason I'm afraid. And I wish it would just go away. But I, I, I can't make it go away. Life won't make it go away. Uh, we're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to be under pressure. And so I just want us to think if we're going to thrive, we talked about last week, in the uncomfortable, then we've got to find a better way to deal with, to handle, to respond to pressure so we're a little bit more purposeful, uh, like the ketchup bottle, like the bottle of hand sanitizer, than when you squeeze us, toxicity negativity, futility comes out of us. Maybe, there, maybe there's a better way now. And also I know this, if you ask the person you're sitting with watching this right now, if you're like with your family in your living room, or you came to church with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or your kids or your family, I guarantee you, they want you to find a better way. Because isn't it true? And I know it's true in my home. You can just ask my wife. Okay, don't do it. But ask my wife. When Matt is under pressure, it is generally not good for my boys and my wife. They, I'm like a grenade, and the pressure explodes, and they get the shrapnel. And the pressure could have been at work. The pressure could have been something I was dealing with, you know, in a situation or with another family or something. And, and, but they get the shrapnel. So listen, wh whatever we're saying, it, we're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to be under pressure. Is there a better way? And, and I hope for your sake, for the sake of God's purpose for you and for the people who are around you, that we would open ourselves up right now for 
a better way. Let me pray for all of us, then we're going to get into God's Word. God, every single one of us has, has been or is in uncomfortable. Every single one of us has to deal with pressure. And God, we all know, and our friends know, our family know, that so many times pressure doesn't bring out the best, but it reveals the worst. And so God, under the authority of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, we're just going to humble ourselves and say, God, is there a better way? And by your grace and by your truth and by your spirit, show us that way so we may walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. (coughs) So we're just looking in this series at some folks in Scripture who have thrived under pressure or who have thrived in the uncomfortable. So today we're going to look at a guy named Paul. And and in 2 Timothy, which is our text today, turn your Bible on, open your Bible up, certainly welcome to follow along with me. In our text today in 2 Timothy, we're at the end of Paul's life. He's in prison and he's writing his protege. Uh, He's writing Timothy and he's going to write him and just kind of, he's in a reflective mood. He's reflecting on his life. He's reflecting on his past. He knows death is imminent and his life story, as we're going to see it in, in Paul's words in just a moment, his life story is the story of being under pressure. His life story is, is, things coming out of him when he's under pressure, and he teaches, he shows, he models for us a better way. And so here we go. Let's get in with Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, he's writing to a pastor. He's writing to a minister, a spiritual leader. So he says, hey, Timothy, the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. They're not going to tolerate biblical teaching, Timothy. But according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They just want to hear one thing, one message. They want to feel good and get out the door, whatever. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. don't want to hear truth. So, Timothy, let me just tell you something. You're going to feel the pressure of teaching a group of people who really aren't interested in what you have to say if what you have to say is based on truth. That's going to be some pressure you're going to face. And then even more, they're going to turn away from hearing the truth and they'll turn aside to myths. So Timothy, you're going to have the pressure of people walking away. You're going to have the pressure of people following things besides, you know, what you're teaching about Jesus and and what's been given to you in the scriptures that you're teaching from and and the apostles' testimony, what Jesus did. So so it's just going to be frustrating for you. There's going to be the the pressure of frustration, the pressure of a sense of futility. And and so what do you do with that, Timothy? And what do you and I do with that? The pressure of, hey, what we're doing is not producing and, and what we're doing, people aren't appreciating <coughs> or, or, or what we're doing just doesn't seem to be working. What, what do we do with that? And so here's what Paul says. Now, I, I, let me stop before I share with you what Paul says. How do you typically respond to that kind of pressure? How do you respond when, when people don't respond positively to you or to what you're doing? How, how do you respond when you're working, you know, a 50, 60, 70, 80 hour week and getting less return? How, how do you respond when you're doing all you know to do, but it just doesn't seem to be resonating with, with, with the, the audience that, that you're called to do it in front of? Again, the answer is usually something negative, toxic, challenging, Right? but there's a better way. But as for you, and I just wonder if God might be speaking to some of us here today, watching today, listening today, and saying, hey, as for you, here's the path. 
Listen, I, I know you want to get mad. I know you want to get frustrated. I know, we, I know you want to grab your ball and go home. I know you want to go to the lawyer and, and quit the marriage. I, I know you want to you know, just isolate yourself, hunker down, get insulated, get hard. I, I know you want to get frustrated. I know you want to you know, give up on God. I know you want to give up on this or give up on that. I know that's what you want to do. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Don't fly off the handle. Don't lose your composure, but in everything, exercise self-control. Endure the hardship. Endure the pressure. Hang in there. Don't give up. The, do the work of an evangelist. Keep telling people the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, and fulfill your ministry. Keep going. Keep teaching. Keep pastoring. Keep leading. Fulfill your marriage vows. Fulfill your role as a dad. Fulfill your role as a mom. Keep going to work. Keep showing up. Keep positive. Keep moving forward. Don't give up on small group. Keep opening your Bible. Keep giving generously. Fulfill your purpose. So, so there's some observations that just jump out in this, in this little paragraph that Paul writes to Timothy. The first is, look, don't be surprised by stress, pressure, or problems. I know so many people, I mean, we're, we're, we're stressed about what, what we perceive going on in our nation and people are bothered by it. But this passage of scripture tells me not to be surprised. This passage of scripture tells me, hey, when pressure comes, when adversity comes, I'm just not, I just don't need to be surprised. It's part of living in this world. It's like the ketchup bottle, if the ketchup bottle could talk, bear with me, right? It expects pressure. The, the, the hand sanitizer, it's designed for it, and something good comes from it, something out of, out of the design. Whoever made this ketchup bottle designed it for pressure. Whoever made this designed it for pressure so you and I could get the good product that contains inside. So let's not be surprised by stress, pressure, and problems. Another observation is we can still live on purpose when under pressure and in the stress. What you hear Paul telling Timothy is, yes, you're going to have pressure. Yes, you're going to have stress. But your purpose doesn't change. Your purpose doesn't move. Your purpose is to continue, do the work, fulfill your ministry. You can still have a great marriage, be a, be a godly dad, godly mom. You can still be a faithful employee. You can still be a great neighbor. You can still follow Christ in the pressure and in the stress. But there's a warning, though. There's a warning. The pressure cannot become my purpose. See, for a lot of us, when it gets hard, hard or getting away from hard or surviving hard becomes our purpose. For a lot of us, when, when life requires endurance, we don't think about purpose. We think about, oh, let me just make it through to the Friday. Oh gosh, I can't wait till spring break. I can't wait till the holidays. And what you see Paul saying is, look, when those people oppose you or those walk away or they quit listening to you, you keep focused on your purpose. But as for you, there's a better way. And then the last thing <coughs> is the pressure does not have to cause us to sin but it can't, and it can't excuse it either. Because you've said this to yourself. You might even said it to people in your small group or, or people around you. Oh, you have every right to be mad. Oh, you have every right right now to be offended. 
You got, you got, you should be afraid. If I were you, I'd be afraid too. Yeah, I, I understand your discouragement. And listen, it's okay to feel those things. It's okay to be those things for a moment, but you can't stay stuck there and fulfill God's destiny, God's plans, and God's purposes for you. So, so Paul is not like Timothy. It's going to be so hard and, and, and it'll be okay, you know, and, and you're going to be mad and you're going to be bitter. And you're going to be frustrated and it's okay because God understands. Paul's like, no, no, here's what it's going to be like. Don't be surprised, but you keep, keep, on, keep on keeping on. You keep going forward. Do not let the pressure become your purpose. Do not let the pressure derail your purpose and do not let the pressure cause you to sin. So those are just some observations. And now I just want to share with you about three components or aspects of the better way. And we're going to get deeper into Paul's story. So three components, three aspects of the better way to deal with pressure. In verse seven, look what Timothy says. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is the last words almost of a, of a man who's going to die for being a Christian. And he talks about fighting a fight uncomfortable, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, being opposed, being, unpressure, uh, being under pressure, I have finished the race. To finish race is, requires what? Perseverance, endurance, <coughs> hard work, effort, discipline, intentionality. I have kept the faith. I have continued to believe in God. I have continued to fulfill my ministry, my purpose, and my calling. And then he talks about what he's looking forward to. He says, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing, all those who have waited for the second coming of Jesus. This is where our hope is. This is where our confidence is. This is the day we're living for. This is the day we're hoping in. And there's a reward for us, a crown for us. And so the first component or first aspect of a better way to live under and deal with the pressure that we face is this. I think we need to all recognize, and this is what Paul does. You see it in the text. We must recognize that we choose the definition of success for our lives. That you, you, you can't control everything that happens to you. You can't control the pressure you feel, the pressure you come under, but you can control, you and I can choose the definition of what, it, of what success means. And, and I, I've got this encouragement, choose it quickly, wisely, and biblically, which we can unpack in just a second, but you control this definition of success. Now, let me just tell you what the world wants you to do, what Satan wants you to do, maybe even what your friends want you to do, maybe what, what your career path wants you to do. They want you to choose a definition of success that will ultimately derail you, discourage you, and cause you to feel defeated. If Paul's definition of success is to make it to retirement, he's not going to make it, and he's going to be unsuccessful. If Paul's definition of success is to have everyone like him and everyone follow him on Facebook and never say anything negative about him, he's unsuccessful. If Timothy's definition of success is to preach sermons that everybody just leaves feeling great, man, that was so awesome, and oh, oh man, you just stroked my ego, it was so great, then, then Timothy's going to be disappointed. I mean, it's just, that's just going to be a disappointment. And so many of us, we've defined success not based on what the Bible would define success as. We've defined success as just having friends to get through middle school. We've defined success as making sure we make it to retirement. We've defined success as being healthy. 
physically. And so guess what? So many people's definition of success right now is very, very shaky. And maybe it's God saying, look, the pressure's here. You and I get to choose how you define success. And God wants you and I to choose a definition of success that can survive contact with the enemy, survive contact with Satan, and survive the stress. So if, if you were to define right now, man, what's success for me? What would you say? And, and let, let, let's look. Does it involve the second coming of Jesus Christ? Does it involve being faithful in the race and the fight God's called you to run and God's called you to engage in? So we choose it. It's one of the most powerful ways of, of, of control or, or powerful choices we get to make is to choose our definition of success. Now, here's what I mean by quickly. The quicker you and I arrive at a biblical wise definition of success, we save ourselves so much discouragement, so much disappointment, and so much pain. Because half, if it probably so much of our discouragement, so much of our disappointment is simply because we were defining success in a way that's actually designed to cause us to feel like failures. Did you get what I just said? You can, define a, uh, you can define success in such a way that you will ultimately see yourself as a failure. But your God loves you too much. The Word of God is too powerful, too true, too authoritative to let us settle for a bad definition of success. And the great definition of success for Paul is be faithful to God wherever I'm at, no matter what pressure I'm under. Paul continues to unpack his, the pressure he's under and the story he's dealing with. So he's writing to Timothy, as we've said, he says, make every effort to come to me soon. I need you because Demos has deserted me. I've been abandoned since he loved the present world. His success was not being faithful to God. His success was loving the world. And, he, and, and, he, and so, some have gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Alexander, the coppersmith, did great harm to me. He hurt me. He opposed me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words, our gospel. He opposed our purpose of preaching and doing the work of an evangelist. At my first defense, Paul says, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. So Paul is telling all the ways different people in his journey of being faithful, all the ways people have opposed him. Now, if Paul's definition of success is to always have people around him that like him and never get hurt relationally, then he's a failure, right? And he's set back and he's disappointed and he's discouraged. But this is not the final words of a discouraged, defeated man. This is the final earthly words of an eternal man with eternal hope, with a sense that he has succeeded in doing what God has called, created, and died for him to do. Beautiful, right? So the second thing that we get, or second component of a better way of living under this pressure that we're all going to feel is we, like Paul, need to know how to deal with being sinned against. We need to know how to deal with being sinned against. Paul's had people abandon him, oppose him, try to kill him, try to harm him, and, and do all these kinds of things. And so Paul, like all of us are, because we said this, part of living in this world is you are going to be sinned 
against. You will sin against people and people will sin against you. You're going to get married one day. Those of you that are single and God calls you into marriage, right? You're going to be sinned against. Kids, your parents are going to sin against you. Children, you're going to sin against your parents and against your brothers and against your sisters. It's just going to happen. Your boss is going to sin against you. Your coworkers are going to sin against you. And how you and I deal with that is a huge deal because being sinned against is being under pressure because you're hurt, you're discouraged, you're let down, uh, you feel like you can't trust anybody, (coughs) you don't know what to do. And and, and so you got to know how to deal with being sinned against. Now, all of us know the the, the options, that the the go-tos, right? Most of us, this is what we do. There's a toxic emotion and attitude forms. We live offended. We hold a grudge or unforgiveness, or we, or we were like, hey, I got to get even. I got to get payback. Toxic emotions, uh, you know, unresolved anger. Toxic emotions, bitter. Attitude, I'm never going to trust again. Not me. No, nope. I'm never going to trust him or them. I'm never going to trust anybody that's a, a, a man again. You're just not going to do it. I'm not going to trust the church again. And so we get these toxic emotions and attitude, and we feel right, and we feel justified in doing it. I think our culture, by and large, just walks around waiting to get offended. I mean, everybody's just on a hair trigger. What'd you say? And we're like offended, right? <clears throat> Listen, you may have the right to be offended, but you don't need to stay offended. Your purpose is too big. God's call for you is greater than for you to walk around just mad and offended because of what some politician, some pastor, or some relative said to you on social media. So, but, so that's just, there's just got to be a better way. And, and what I read, when I read Paul, I don't hear bitterness. I don't feel like he's offended. I just feel like he's a man on a mission and he's moving forward. And then, you know, sometimes we just, hey, we, I just haven't forgiven them. I think there's probably people here today, and if you, you, you've been sinned against, no one can, can deny it. I'm not excusing what happened to you, because let's don't go here. Let's don't go here. <coughs> Excuse me. So what does Paul do? He lets the pressure hit the gospel. Now, see, when you come under pressure, when you're sinned against, the pressure can hit your ego The pressure can hit scar tissue from a past wound. The pressure can hit uh, a worldly expectation of what life is supposed to be like. But Paul lets the pressure hit the gospel. And the gospel, in part, is that Jesus Christ comes to live inside of us through the Holy Spirit, his truth, his words, his spirit living inside of us. So we got to let the pressure hit the gospel. And, And what does that mean? Here's what Paul did, resources that Paul had. He realized, hey, God is better at justice than me. So he says, God's going to take care of that guy that hurt me. God's got a better way of dealing with justice than me. I don't have to worry about payback. I don't have to worry about revenge. It's not my responsibility to go chasing down and dealing with every wrong that was done to me. I'm going to give that to God. Paul says, hey, may the Lord not count it against them. I will forgive as I have been forgiven. I will forgive them as God in Christ has forgiven me. So I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to walk around mad, bitter. I've got too many other better, more purposeful things that God wants me to do. And then finally, 
I do need to be in gospel-centered community. He's like, could you please come? Timothy, I need you. All of us need people around us that are driven by, defined by, grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we're not going to have this always at work. We're not going to always have this in our families. This is why we at Rockbridge talk so much why you need to be in a small group or you need to be in a D group or you need to be around some other people who are seeking, striving to be driven by, centered upon, grounded in the gospel. But these are the resources of the gospel. So when Paul is hit with desertion, with Paul, when he is opposed, when he is sinned against, what comes out of him is, I need to let God handle some things. I've got to forgive as I've been forgiven. And I need to have some people around me to keep me encouraged. Know how to deal with being sinned against. He concludes this letter with this. He says, but these people deserted me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word. I might fulfill my calling, fulfill my purpose, because my purpose is not in jeopardy when I'm sinned against. My purpose will move forward. My purpose will advance. My, the definition of success is untouchable by my enemies and by the opposition. So I will fully preach the word and all the Gentiles may hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. So the third component of the better way when we're under pressure is to realize, recognize, and understand this. Pressure does not equal the absence of God, but God's presence is actually in the pressure. Do you see it? Let's look at it in the text. The Lord stood with me when I was under pressure, when I was deserted, when Alexander the coppersmith opposed me and tried to harm me. God's presence is in the pressure. So powerful, right? But you know, we're tempted to think when we come under pressure, God is not there and we run. And the temptation when we run is this, we are running from our purpose instead of remaining in it. We're running from it instead of remaining in it because God is with us in it and under it. And it will serve a purpose just like pressure here with my hand sanitizer and pressure here with my trusty bottle of ketchup serves a purpose. The same is true because God's presence is with us in the pressure. Now we have to recognize something. The pressure or the stress is not the enemy. Okay, now let me make, make sure we, we, we see this in the text, okay? He says, God's gonna rescue me from every evil work. Now, now the evil work then is not desertion, abandonment, what Nero uh, is going to do to Paul when he's going to have Paul executed. So the evil work is not this pressure of opposition or this pressure uh, of desertion or not having friends or the pressure of people not listening to your preaching or your teaching or not responding to what you're doing. That's not the pressure that he's talking about. What's the evil work? The evil work is 
what he just said, fought, what we said in verse 7, his definition of success. I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. The evil work is that Paul would come to a point in his life where he no longer trusted God, no longer had believed in the goodness and the greatness and the purposes and lived for the glory of God. And when Paul would just stop and quit fulfilling his ministry, quit fighting the good fight, quit seeking to finish the race and keeping the faith. So what we have to understand is the opposition that you feel or the pressure that you feel, that's not just, that's not the enemy. The enemy is that our response would be to move away from God or move away from purpose. The pressure on this bottle brings something good out. The pressure on this bottle brings something good out. God ordains that the pressure you and I are in should move us to display him more clearly, more appropriately, and in a way, pressure actually advances his purpose or furthers his calling in our lives. If if we recognize the pressure is not the enemy, the enemy is that we quit trusting, quit believing, quit hoping in God. So again, the pressure has to hit the gospel. The pressure has to hit Christ in us. If it hits our ego, game over. You won't go to that better way. You'll go to the angry way, the frustrated way, the prideful way, the narcissistic way. If the pressure hits scar tissue from a wound 20 years ago that God's never been allowed to access in your soul and in your heart, then yeah, you're going to respond in an unhealthy way. You're not going to turn the other cheek, right? You're going to make a fist too and try to strike back. And so the pressure's not the enemy. The enemy is we wouldn't trust God. So what does Paul do? When the pressure hits the gospel, Christ in Paul, here's where Paul goes, okay? First is... He rests in the goodness of God. And we see this all throughout his writings, that God's goodness and power are settled by the cross and at the empty tomb, period. Do not let Satan or life's pressure cause you to put a question mark around this statement. If you doubt God's goodness, you look at Jesus in your place on the cross. If you doubt God's power, you look at the empty tomb and trust in the resurrection power of Jesus. Let that be a settled issue in your soul. Never have to revisit it. You just keep looking at the cross, keep looking at the empty tomb. But so many of us, when we get put under pressure, like, oh, God's not good. Oh, God's not all powerful. Why would he allow this? No, 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 no. You never look at the pressure. You always look at the place where God's love and power were demonstrated most clearly and universally, the cross and the empty tomb. Paul's, Paul realizes God's purposes for Christ in me are to be, is for Christ to also be revealed through me. Christ in me revealed through me. So when Paul came under pressure, what came out of Paul was Christ or like Christ or of Christ. Remember he said to Timothy, you be self-controlled. Control the pride, control the flesh so that Jesus can come out of you. So when <coughs> Paul is hurt and he says, hey, may God not count their sins against them. That's Christ-like because Jesus said that on the cross. Father, forgive them who are gambling for my clothes because they don't know what they're doing. When Paul responds to opposition with joy and with hope, that's of Christ because his joy and hope is not tied to a carefree, comfortable life. His joy and hope are tied to a cross, an empty tomb, and the promise of the second coming. Paul also understands this, that eternity awaits, hope is alive, and the best is yet to come. 
eternity with Jesus. Jesus is his hope. Jesus is alive. The best is yet to come. And the best yet to come is not defined by what's going to happen in 2020 or 2021. It's defined by Jesus coming back, finding his people faithful where he's placed them, living for the purpose for which he created them, died and rose again for them to fulfill and continuing to look to him. So listen, I want to just pray for us and invite our campus pastors, venue pastors up as I do so. I think we're all under some form or fashion of pressure. I hope that God today through his word and the gospel has shown us a better way so that when we're under pressure, what comes out of us is Christ in us. And what the world sees is not a bunch of angry, frustrated, hopeless Christians not a bunch of Christians walking around, man, God, this is just futile. What's happening? Oh, my God. What the world sees is people who are living by a different standard, who are living by the hope of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus for the purposes of Jesus until he comes again. Let me pray. God, for everybody here listening, watching, I don't know what all pressure they're dealing with. But God, right now, we just want to pause under that pressure. Trust you in it. Look past it to the cross and the empty tomb. And move forward in faithfulness, in obedience, in courage, and in hope. In your name we pray. Amen.